We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hey trent hi parth you're looking well it's good to see you we have a movie podcast yeah it's good to see you as well we do have a movie podcast um trent you and i attended a film party very recently and the podcast gets a lot of attention Uh, have you noticed that that at parties people go hey you got the podcast right I i listened to an episode a few years ago yeah, I'd say maybe that happened, like, three times, which is good for us, statistically. But, I mean, it's us tra- it's us traveling side by side. It's hard to not make a joke. And 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 and, and dare, dare say, if we talked about a movie at that party, which we probably did, it'd be really on brand. But what's on brand is us eating, I guess, because um, you just have to do that every day. What's on brand is us transitioning from section to section. So what have you been eating? Uh, most recently, Trent, I had um, cinnamon applesauce, low mm. sugar. I like applesauce. It's one of my favorite on-the-go college snacks. Cinnamon applesauce, I like, a, I like a little bit less, but I'll certainly eat it. But applesauce, I love it. Don't even need a spoon. You just sip it out the side like a little cup. I feel like as a child, you would have eaten a lot of applesauce. Am I, am I correct? Um... Like that was yeah, a childhood snack for little Trent. And now I I recently had, you know, like the the squeeze bags of applesauce, you know? Are you just nodding or do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I had one of those for, uh, well, I was buying crafty food and I thought that this would be a good adult crafty. version. Yeah, no, literally, name of the show. Um, I thought that that would be a good adult version of applesauce and there was only medium backlash to it only a few comments but very nice um one of what i've been eating it was a, a smoothie that i made for miss jordan who's asleep and sick behind me um oh, is jordan still sick yeah i'm recovering if you can't tell from the nasaliness of my nasal um but it's our patent pending strawberry banana smoothie i've talked uh, or no uh peanut butter jelly smoothie i've talked about it before it's a uh, banana mixed berries, um, some peanut butter, some jelly, uh, some cranberry juice, a little bit of honey, a little bit of ice. Blend it up, drink it. Ice, ice baby. Ice, ice baby. Made her a little bagel. Now she's conked out. And uh, it was a good show uh, on Voorhees Mall, 3 p.m. But now, by the time anyone's listening to it, it'll be way in the past. But she's rest. She's resting for that because even though she's sick, it would. Uh, she'd be a fool to miss what's going on yeah um but you know who would else be a fool oh i was just gonna say anyone who was listening to this would be a fool to not stay tuned for the interview that we have coming up after the uh this brief intermission of the music yeah so let's why don't we just like get right into it and uh cue the intro by cueing the intro yeah
welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture this week. And for the next three weeks, that's right, yep. folks, we have a three-part interview. Is that a uh, first? Is that a first? No, um, our Scott Pilgrim interview was three parts. You're right. That one was even longer than this one. Yes, yeah. But, um, but- this one we did spend like 30 minutes off the record where he he gave us a bunch of gems as well that I think we wish we recorded, but it'll just yes. have to exist in our memory. In our memory, and if you ever meet one of us, just ask us. We'll we'll probably tell you. Yep, a few of the, the, the bits. But who we talked to is Mark Andrews, who is the head of story on, uh, on our movie this week, Brad Bird's Incredibles, but also has worked on projects such as Samurai Jack, The Iron Giant, and he won an Academy Award as the co-director of Brave. Yes, our second Oscar-winning guest. And he's been described, if you go to Wikipedia, as Brad Bird's right-hand man. Um, and if you ever listen to Brad Bird speak and then listen to this interview, you will notice that they do sound quite similar. Um, and best of all, he was a super nice guy. So what more can you ask yes. for? And he talked to us for nice a long guy, time. Informative. Yep. yep. Um, yep. gracious. Um, has worked on so giving. many cool, interesting projects. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was really a gold mine. This, I think this was one of our best interviews. Uh, Yeah. Is that fair to say? Uh, definitely one of our more recent best interviews. Um, this one got... I, I feel like this one, we talk a lot about story and, like, uh, at least how he views putting together story and um, w- what that means and not necessarily just the nitty-gritty of how things work, but yeah, why I feel things like, work. I feel like that might be a more digestible t- technical talk compared to, like some of our, you know, lens choices, stuff that we talk about. Because yeah. a lot of it's, like, abstract and just fun, just talking about movies and story yeah. and uh, and Pixar and everything in between. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I had a really good time with this interview. Um, so much so we broke it too. into three parts. I'm going to drag it out for a whole dang incredible month. So it'll yes. be th- these three interviews... Uh, split into probably like what twenty twenty five minute segments. Yeah, twenty minute segments. Yeah, accompanied by Parth and I talking before and after. So there'll be three of those, and then we'll discuss it. Two of us maybe have a special guest, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um. So without further ado, should I just cue the interview? Yep. Cue it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Mark Andrews. He has worked on such projects as Samurai Jack, The Iron Giant, Brave, which he won the Academy Award for, and was head of story on our film for today, Brad Bird's The Incredibles. Thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, uh, what was your relationship with film like at a young age, and how did you find yourself coming into the industry yourself? That's a great question. I mean, I'm, uh, I've always drawn. I drew... When I was little, my mom, you know, had kept some drawings um, Went from when I was three and stuff like that. I remember drawing in kindergarten and things. And the funny thing is my drawings weren't stick figures. I had outlines of, of things, right? So I was a little advanced, um, but it was always something that I, I liked to do, uh, create worlds, create characters and stuff. So that 
Um, my mom was kind of a film buff and her and her brother, when they were younger during the depression, they would spend all day at the theater because you could back then. I mean, that was their TV, right? With, with the, right. with the serials and, you know, cowboys and Indians and all this other stuff. And, and uh, so that was kind of during the summers what they would do. So my mom would take us out to movies all the time. And, um, when I was growing up, uh, and young, that's when cable TV just started with on TV on TV was like the very first cable thing. And, and it would, they didn't make shows like, you know, the cable stuff does today. Like everybody, HBO, you know, is making shows now as a content creator. But what they would do is they would have movies three months after you saw them in, in the theater. So you could watch them again. I mean, videotape wasn't even out at this point, right? I'm that old guys. Videotape wasn't created. Um, so you had cable. So my uncle, who's the consummate bachelor uh, and the best uncle a boy could ever had, um, my brother is the actual genius. He would look at the TV guide and he'd go, oh, look, Mark, Apple Dumpling Gang is playing tonight at 8, but on, on TV on their other channel is Excalibur, and that's rated R. And so we would lie. We would tell, we'd go, hey, Mom, Apple Dumpling Gang is playing at 8. So we go over and watch it at our uncle's you know, condo. And she'd go, well, let me call him. And she'd call him up and he goes, yeah, bring him on over. Cause he's usually going out on dates or doing whatever he's doing. So he wouldn't be back until way late. <laughs> you know, we'd spend a night and crash in his little office. So we'd go over, he'd buy us pizza and he'd leave and we'd wait till he goes off and then we'd turn on Excalibur. And so we were having a diet you know, of R-rated movies at a very, very young age, you know, Friday the 13th. And I mean, anything you could think of that a kid of seven, eight, nine, ten should not be watching, we were watching. So I, I was classically educated at a very young age. I was just going to follow up with the second part of your question about how, uh, how did you start to know that you were interested in doing this for a living or learned that that was the possibility? It came very late. You know, my, my brother, uh, Brian, uh, who's been in the industry storyboarding for a long time. He's now the showrunner on what if for Marvel. Um, he's also probably boarded most of all Marvel's movies, um, um, live action boards and stuff. But, um, we both went to Cal Arts together uh, for animation. That's kind of our path into the industry. But before that, before we even found Cal Arts, there was no, not even a, a, an idea or thought in my head that that's the industry, animation or live action was something that I could even remotely get into. You know, um, there wasn't a path. Nobody talked about it. Never met anybody, you know, that was, you know, with that, that industry, um, and could say, Oh, Hey, you should go try do this or do that. You know? Um, but my brother made movies with eight millimeter and 16 millimeter film. You know, he'd do stop motion stuff or he'd film us jumping off walls and he'd draw explosions and scratch the film to make lasers and do all that stuff. So, so I was his, I was his star, his actor, his stuntman, you know, I was never behind, behind the camera like he was. So it wasn't until um, uh, it was uh, high school, you know, I was not a smart guy, you know, solid C student at best, you know, on a good day. Um, 
I drew and I didn't really care. I had a bunch of friends that went into the military. And so that I'd done martial arts my whole life and, and sword fighting and whatnot. And that was something that I I saw myself as I'm going to go that way and be in the military. Um, So I was in no rush after high school to go off and do that. Right. Um, And that's when I actually had my first formal art training in a city college in Santa Barbara. And from there, my then I was out of high school first. My brother got out. He had found a program, an animation program in Santa Maria, California, which is just north of where we lived, uh, this little place called San Inez. And so I said, "Let's go up there and do that." I don't, I'm, you know, I don't care. You know, I'm just playing drums and doing martial arts. You know, my free time. It's a drawing. That's all I'm doing. So uh, I went with him to this program, and it was that teacher, Ed Harvey who told us about CalArts, right? And said, you guys are talented enough that you can get into the industry. In fact, this is where everybody goes to get into the animation industry. It started by Disney, yada, 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 read books, people. And, and we, and suddenly that became option B. So it, it really dawned on me. This is the first time in my life I really had this choice uh, uh, that there was things that I can do that my art that I've done my whole life, I can actually get paid doing it. Right. So I told my Marine recruiter, I'm going to art school, you know, something they all want to hear. And then went off to art school. The rest is his. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess you've had a longstanding working relationship with Brad Bird, um, one of my favorite directors. And I was just sort of wondering how that began. Me and Brad, me and Brad both say fuck a lot, and we kind of, you know, it's like mm. a gravitational force that these people just no. Um, my first experience was with Brad uh, was at Warner Brothers. Um, I was part of the Disney internship out of school. Uh, uh, I was selected, which was great. Uh, worked at Disney. I was the only one out of the five uh, interns that did not get hired. And I was told that I rocked the boat. So I was blacklisted from Disney in those days. It was some mean thing that, you know, the recruiters did when I pissed somebody off or whatnot. And, and, uh, I actually, uh, went off and started uh, doing boards in TV on the real adventures of Johnny quest, which is great. You know, it was eight weeks per board. I did, you know, several episodes for them and it was uh had to do animatics to send off to japan for timing so it was a great learning experience and i was chewing through way more story ideas and story moments than your typical you know feature animation board artist so it's a it's a real you know training ground for artists getting into storyboards i mean you're you're, you're it's like training to be a spartan warrior you know, and you're constantly, constantly working and coming up with stuff because the TV turnaround is just so, so fast. So that's where I was actually cut my teeth. And I got to know because my brother was hired at Disney and a friend of mine, Dave Krentz, uh, another amazing artist in board earth. And they got hired at Disney. So I would have lunch with them almost every day. <laughs> You know, and I got to meet Bill Perkins, who was uh, an art director, production designer over at Disney. Um, And then this was after, this was during once uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast almost won an Academy Award, upsetting the whole freaking live action industry. 
studios started to pop up, right? Because there was only Disney at the time. So suddenly Warner Brothers appeared out of the blue to get into the animation game and sucked a lot of people over to it, right? This is a new opportunity for people, you know, because there's a glass ceiling at, at Disney. You could only go up so much because they only had one runway of films every four to seven years. That's it, right? So um, a lot of people left and went over there, and Bill Perkins did. And Bill Perkins, I remember, he called me one day. I was at Hanna-Barbera, and, and he goes, uh, you want to come work uh, on features at Warner Bros? I said, yeah. So I finished my one assignment, you know, turned in that final episode. I said, see ya. And I was hired sight unseen, no recruiters, no nothing just off of Bill's recommendation because they were hurting to, you know, fill their, their, their war chest with, with talent. And that was uh, Osmosis Jones. But when I was over there, I had known, I had a bunch of friends from college who was working with Brad on Ray Gunn when it was at Turner. And so I got to see some of the art and visit, you know, my friends when I went over and stuff like this. I'm all, who the hell's directing this? This, this is the show I want to be on, you know, not Quest for Camelot. Get me on this show, right? This is awesome. Noir, sci-fi. Who's Brad Bird? And so I would just get information from my friends on who this Brad Bird was. I had no idea what he did. You know, yeah, he'd done The Simpsons. Yeah, he did Family Dog, you know, all these things. Um, and so once I got over to Warner Brothers, they were also, uh, because Warner Brothers owns Turner, all of a sudden they had Brad and his, and his project, right? So, of course, in their great wisdom, they decide not to do Ray Gunn, right? But they keep Brad Bird. And they ask Brad, is there anything in our library here at, at Warner Brothers that you want to do? And he picks Iron Giant, right? This random little story, and but he... It spoke to him, and he had this whole idea out of the blue. And so there was this big show and tell about Brad and who he was and stuff like this. And all of a sudden, they announced, um, and I was interested in working with them, but this is like the movie's not going to take place for you know whatever. And then and then they and then they come out and they do a little show and tell that he's he's going to do uh, uh, Iron Giant, adapt Iron Giant uh, for Warner Brothers to make it an animated film. So when I started looking at and I saw his pitch, right? He had a pitch in a theater that got us into like a theater in downtown Glendale, stuffed this all in there, and Brad came out on stage and told what he wanted to do with it and stuff like this. And he's cursing up a storm and dropping F-bombs and stuff like this. And I'm all, that's my guy. I know exactly he's talking about film the way that I talk about film, right? He's mentioning all the stuff that I love right about film and, and different movies that are his favorites and what he wants to do and the biggest thing that he did is he says this isn't for kids right i want to elevate animation to the pg and pg-13 i'm all right there i swore my fealty to the man at that moment because that is what i've been living with. you know how do i uh, a pg-13 r-rated guy who wants to tell those stories how does I survive or get to do anything that will fill, fill me with joy, right, um, in this industry that's all about just for kids, right? Um, so Brad was the guy. And so Brad started looking for storyboards, artists within uh, Warner Brothers. And so I submitted my portfolio, and then I saw all my 
storyboard, you know, companions get hired on the Brad show, but I wasn't getting hired as I'm finishing Quest for Camelot. I was the last man standing and all the other ones are getting hired. And so I started getting bitter and mad going, oh, fuck Brad. He doesn't know talent. Why is he hiring these youths? These guys do, they do kids stuff. I'm the guy who's doing the PG-13 R-rated stuff, right? Look at my I draw better than these people, you know? So I was getting very angry and, and upset that I was, I was overlooked, you know? I was young and, and dumb. And um, what I found out later, um, so eventually uh, I, I was finished with uh, 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 Quest for Camelot and I finally got hired onto Brad's team as a storyboard artist. And I come late to the show, right? I come in. When I walk in the door, Brad goes, and his head of story, Jeff Lynch at the time, goes, thank God you're here. We've been waiting Nine months to get you here. And I'm all, what, 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 why, 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 why? What I figured out is because I'm so prolific and fast, right? And and you don't need to workbook my storyboards. That's a process where I do the storyboard. It goes down to the layout department. They have a workbook team that basically turns it into cinema for the layout artist to create the field charts and to do the backgrounds, Right. You didn't have to do that with my boards. Bill Frank, who was the head of layout at the time, goes, it's a Mark Andrews scene. Just put a field chart on it and blow it up. Done. And so I I was responsible for hundreds of hundreds of feet of footage making, you know, it go, right? So um, I, I didn't know this at the time. So what, what they were doing with the director of Quest for Camelot was – was holding on to his prize pony. The one who did the most output, he didn't want to let me go because footage would go off the, they would never make their quotas anymore, right? So he would leave me a stack from editorial he drew and he was drawing storyboards and editorial what he wanted. And for three months I would come into work and find just a stack of unintelligible sketches on my desk that I had to get through that day. And so I just sit down and interpret best I could and doing cinema and lowering the camera and lifting the camera and doing camera moves. And, you know, all the stuff that I just usually put into the boards, doctor them up so they're nice and hand them off and, and then go home, right? Um, so so that was my first kind of uh, uh, encounter with things that could happen to a person in the industry, right? That you can be guarded and kept secret and and tucked away so that nobody else can use you because you got it all tied up, you know? And so once I was with Brad, it was like, Oh my gosh, I could fly, you know? And, and the way, even in reviews, when he talk about movies and he talk about what he wants in shots and he talk about cinematography, you know, and visual storytelling, it was like a class every day with the guy. And so you just keep all the artists. We just kept pushing ourselves to do that. You know, before, before Brad, nobody cared what the background was in a storyboard. Right. It was kind of like, and I love Bill Pete. Don't get me wrong audience. Right. Yes. He's a, uh, I'm a fan, but that was a particular type of storytelling that was about the business, right. Of what the, the characters were doing. It wasn't visual storytelling. It wasn't, cinematic right because what happens in the background 
what we see, what the world the character occupies and how we see them is, is, is as important as what they're doing and what they're saying, right? And you did, the Japanese understand this. They've been doing this since the beginning. And that's why their manga is even better than our comics, right? That the visual storytelling that they, that they put into their, their stuff, we don't necessarily have. It's not, a, it's not a priority, but it was a priority for Brad. And that's when I knew we synced up in our philosophies of what animation should be. It's filmmaking. That's it, right? We use the same tools and think about and design and approach a story in the same way because we're visual storytelling. So we got along. So we've interviewed a lot of story uh, board artists before. It seems like you were for a while, but uh, we're... Uh, we asked you before uh, about your role on The Incredibles and you were uh, head of story. And what we found was the head of story was sort of like m- making sense and organizing the uh, the boards of other people. And can you elaborate sort of on just what, on what that job is? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I essentially was trained by uh, Jeff Lynch, uh, Jeffrey Lynch, who was Brad's head of story for, for a long time. Um, and, and Jeff Lynch is also cinema. He got me my job with Sam Raimi boarding on Spider-Man because he was essentially, essentially, essentially his head of story. He was a second unit director for Sam Raimi on uh, a bunch of, on a bunch of his movies. Um, and, and Sam shoots it the way you board it. I mean, it's one to one pretty much. Right. And he likes Jeff because Jeff understands cinema, right? There's, there's no, making stuff up and you don't, you know, it's very, very accurate. So I learned how to be ahead of story under Jeff Lynch. Right. And he was giving Brad what he wanted, which was cinema, visual storytelling. Right. How do you do that? How do you edit? How does things cut? And, and, you know, all the things, it was film school, right. Between those two. Um, and so after I was off iron giant, I got hired uh, on to do Osmosis Jones as head of story. And so that's what I was doing was just making sure cinema and visual storytelling was getting to every board that my artists drew. Right. Um, and that was a very rough, uh, production, um, to do because the two directors were very different from Brad, you know, um, uh, very talented people who, who had very good careers, but that this was their first time, uh, directing essentially a, a feature film that was already trouble from the get-go and cinema was not what <laughs> they were after. But after that and Sam Raimi, I'm back with Brad again, working on the Incredibles. And essentially my job was to uh, many parts. One translate Brad to my artists, right? What, what he's talking about visual storytelling and cinematic, you know, cinematography I got to get my artists to do. And Brad has a bunch of pet peeves about storyboards and storyboard artists. He wants them all to look the same. He wants them on model. So all of our characters had to be on model. And he wanted uh, the storyboards to, to, so you couldn't tell that different artists had worked on it. It want, He wanted a, a continuity, right, of the art style. And that also came down to a cinematic style. So, for a head of story, that's a bunch of heavy lifting because I got to now train and teach 
story artists that may have been in working in the industry for 10 years, but I got to get them up to what Brad wants level of storyboarding, you know? And so that's my job is to teach, educate, bolster them, make them as successful. So when they go into reviews with Brad, he goes, I'm liking it. Here's some notes here, there, and there, but you know, good job. Right. Um, you don't want bad morale from your storyboard. I was thinking that, that the director doesn't like any of this stuff. Right. So that was essentially my job was speaking Brad. Right. And then teaching, teaching some of my artists, you know, what visual storytelling was and getting their boards up to the cinematic stuff that Brad expects. So I designed a whole new way of kind of doing boards. Everybody was drawing in pencil. Everybody shaded. Everybody would either use ink or whatnot. So when you watch a storyboard, it would be all over the place, right? Method-wise, even on shading, right? Um, and it was distracting to Brad. So um, Photoshop had just come out. It was just a few, 10 years old, not even that, five years old, six years old. So I developed a system. I'm all, okay. We'll draw in pencil, but we'll scan the images and get them into Photoshop and we'll paint them in gray tone because gray tone has no texture. There is no shading. I go 50% gray, lasso, boom, it's 50% gray. And what that did was, and then all of our files started becoming digital. So if uh, I had to have, if I boarded something and I had somebody else doing the notes for it, you wouldn't be able to tell I didn't do those drawings or those notes because of this layer system that Photoshop has, right? The background wouldn't change. They can just in get in and surgically add another pose or redo something in the, in the background or the shot or adjust it, and it's invisible. So it was a longer boarding process up front before it got to editorial. But once it went through Andy Jimenez and the animatic star, that's a whole nother chapter, um, Brad had basically a one-to-one final picture in, in storyboards. It revolutionized how they were doing storyboards at Pixar. They weren't doing this this way. Brad makes the film. He doesn't make a storyboard of the film. He makes the film. It just happens to be in storyboards. And I remember we walked out the first screening of, of The Incredibles at Pixar, and it was only half the movie, right? It was up to the point where the plane gets blown up, right? And the kids, where are we going? We're going to go over there and that's our plan, right? Um, so we left off on a cliffhanger, right? What's going to happen? I was walking out. I just happened to be walking right next to Steve Jobs, right, at the time. And he goes, he just turns to me and, you know, he kind of knows I'm working, but he doesn't really know who I am. And he goes, why don't we just release that, right? And I'm all, because it's not in color. And he's all, yeah, that's a good point. You know, and then we would walk up at, upstairs and go in a conference room to have the note session. But that's what Brad did. Brad had was his storyboards had all the context that you actually have in a movie. They're just not dimensional. But with After Effects and talented After Effects artists, especially like Andy Jimenez, who's our head of that department, he can make a faux 3D be 3D, right? And so we were getting dimensionality and that is what camera does, right? That's what filmmaking is, people. You know, Brad was Brad was doing it. You know, at a at a feature level, it hadn't been done before.
Parth, what a great interview. What a good segment of that interview. What a good wow, portion. We're, we're right back in. Um, Just like that. Just usually like it's that. me that keeps Trent on his toes and uh, very on a t- on a tight leash. Very yeah. abruptly goes, "Welcome back." Um, but uh, this time, it welcome was me. back, Parth. Welcome uh, back. Um, it's nice. It's a nice place to be welcomed. Sometimes you get welcomed, and sometimes the welcome welcomes you. Mm. <laughs> Trent. We're, we're at the other side of this interview, this part one of this interview, and so now we can kind of just say whatever. So, Trent, as of today, we are in day five of the Rutgers strike. Oh, now we can just say whatever. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Um, no, Trent, <laughs> not that! Not the censors! Anyways. Yeah, we're in day five of the Rutgers strike. Frankie Cosmos is about to play Voorhees Mall, 3 p.m. That's a cool benefit. It's probably the coolest thing that has happened at Rutgers, and it's funny... Because Rutgers isn't making it happen, it's a force coming to oppose Rutgers. Yes, um, which is, which makes sense. Because it's also worth it's cool. noting that in our first year of um, college, we uh, had a worldwide pandemic for the first time in almost a, or over a hundred years, and mm-hmm. in our last semester of college, uh, we are. Rutgers is experiencing its first strike in its 250 years of existing. Yeah. So what are the maybe odds of our those year, two things overlapping? Maybe yeah. our year is just well, I guess it's not your last semester, but you know what I mean. Yeah, the, I've heard, I've seen things on the internet about, and I've seen it in real time of uh, the look in your guys' faces of the class of 2023 really just being super screwed. But I jumped off that ship a long time ago. I guess anybody that doesn't go to Rutgers is kind of lost right now. Or, like, uninterested. But um, that's what's happening in our lives, I guess. In our little corner. So thank you so much to Mark Andrews um, for talking with us. Um, There'll be two more of these suckers. Yes. Yeah. Um, and We're going to mil- milk it for all it's worth. I'm just going to say, I think each episode is going to get better. Yeah? The interviews. Yeah. And I think this interview, this section of this interview... Was still uh, pretty good. It's already pretty good. So yeah. we're, you're So it only gets hands. better from here. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, so next Sunday, attend our little church ceremony part two. Yeah. And when the episodes come out. Trent, oh. if the people, the people listening to this episode, they're on a podcasting platform, but if they wanted to maybe go off to a different one, like where, where would they find us? Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you your podcast. What's the other good example? With Stitcher. Um, Stitcher, um, Amazon, Google Podcasts, Google. Amazon Podcast, or Amazon Music, I guess. Um, so wherever you do, whatever you do, give us a five star review. Leave a little comment if that's um, that if that toast your marshmallow. Do whatever you got to do to get by, but support us if you can. If you're listening, yes. He, we interviewed someone who has an Oscar. They showed it to us. They held it up. We took pictures. Oh yeah, we'll, we did take a picture. So maybe we'll post that on the Instagram. Nah, we'll probably just keep that for ourselves. Um, really? But thank you for mentioning that we have an Instagram where you might be able to see mm. this photo. Um, Crab, but we Crab are on Instagram and we are on, on Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. So um, go check us out over there and. As always, we will see you next week. Yep, 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 yep. Goodbye.